Turn to Genesis chapter 6. The space that is given to the flood of Noah is chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9. Four chapters. And when you think about it, uh, creation is gets two chapters. So this is a... Uh, Story that gives gives a lot of Bible space, and so I think it's definitely worthy of our time. We'll do part one this morning. So we ought to study it, if for no other reason, the space that's given to it, but also the things in Noah, the geology, the circumstances. These are things that are confirmable in archaeology and in history. In other words, uh, there are things that are not explainable without a global flood. Now, I'll give you an example. They have found on Mount Everest, and if, uh, am I correct in saying Mount Everest is the highest mountain in the world? Is that correct? If it's not, it should be. <laughs> it is big. I know when I was up there, well, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but <clears throat> they have found on Mount Everest marine fossils. Thousands of them. Now, how did fish skeletons, shrimp, get on top of Mount Everest. See, the flood will explain that. There are a lot of questions you will come across that the only explanation are the biblical stories that come down to us through the Bible, through divine revelation. And these things are good for our young people to know. Uh, because they're going to get hit with a lot of skepticism and doubt as they go to some of the schools. One other reason it's important for us to study this is because this is history. The Old Testament teaches us things from an earthly standpoint. And Jesus put it this way in John 3.12. He said, If... I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, then how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? In other words, earthly things. I've, told, I've talked to you about historical events. If you don't believe the history of the Old Testament, how are you going to believe the gospel in the New Testament? That's what he's saying in John 3. So to, to, take, to take the scripture... On a very low plane, a level, uh, Old Testament level, is necessary if we're going to believe God for the tremendous promises that He gives to us in the New Testament. And so, when we look at this, we this is a vital passage uh, of Scripture and a vital story in history. 
And it has what we would call the ring of truth to it. You know, if you ever listen to somebody uh, talk and they're telling a story about maybe going fishing and they caught a fish this size and before they get to the end of the story, it's that size. and You know, you can sort of tell, hmm, I'm not sure the dimensions are exactly right. It doesn't have the ring of truth. When you read the story of the flood of Noah, it just comes across as valid and authentic. And I want to give you some examples of this. It has, for example, mathematical credibility. It's very specific as to construction, for example, in chapter 6, verse 14, it says he, he made it of gopher wood. God told him to make it of gopher wood. Most of the uh, old rabbis said that's a kind of cedar, which, as we know, cedar is naturally water-resistant. It makes sense. And they use pitch in verse 14 of chapter 6, on the outside and on the inside. And the size that we have mentioned, the, the 300 cubits or 500, 510 feet long, this would make it just a little bit smaller than the Titanic. Although it's designed like a barge. It's not designed to sail it's not supposed to go anywhere. It's just supposed to float. It's the, the whole point of the art is to save people from water. And this is what we find in it. It is designed, they, they tell us that if you look at the ratio, um, they call it a seven to one ratio, which is the same as a large modern day barge. It's specific as to the dates in uh, chapter 7 and verse 11. It says, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, 17th day of the month. Look how specific that is. All the fountains of the great deep burst forth. So it's very specific. It's very mathematic. It's very credible. Uh, one man who's done a lot of study in these areas is Dr. Dan Biddle. And he says that this is the best way. There's a, there's a story called the Gilgamesh Epic. I think I've mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. And, and it's about 600 years before Christ, the Gilgamesh Epic. The flood story goes back three or 4,000 years before Christ. So every, every country has a flood story. Well, the Gilgamesh epic has the story of uh, this uh, half-god, half-man who uh, built a boat because of a flood coming. And he built it in the form of a square, a cube, like a 200 feet by 200 feet by 200 feet square. And he built it in one week. Well, if you notice, it took Noah, he was 500 years old when in Genesis 5.32, 
and 600 in chapter 7, verse 6. So that means he had 100 years to build this ark. And that makes sense. If I'm going to build a boat that's the size of a football field plus another half of a football field, I'm going to need more than a week. If you can build it in a week, I got a job for you in my basement. <laughs> you can wipe that out in five minutes. So this seems to just ooze credibility when you read the story here. Um, he says, Dr. Biddle says that if, a, if you actually had a cube, studies have shown that animals and people within a cube would bounce around in the tumultuous waters and it would maim and kill everyone and everything on board and then sink to the bottom of the waters. But it wouldn't float. But what God has told Noah to do, we're going to build something that's seaworthy, watertight, big enough to hold the two different kinds of clean and unclean or the seven different kinds of one. And we're going to put them on board with all the food and provisions. you got 75 years to get this done. And that all makes sense to me. So it has mathematical credibility. Second, it has geological credibility. Um, they tell us that there are three stages of a flood. Um, stage one is what they call the initial disruption. This is when a dam breaks or a heavy rainfall comes and flash floods go through a town. It's the initial disruption of the flood. Tears everything up in its path. The second is the slow progression of the waters in which they gradually peak or crest. And then you have the gradual recession of the waters where they recede and ultimately return back to normal. Well, these are the exact stages of the flood of Noah's day. Look at chapter 7 and verse 11 and 12. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all of the fountains of the great deep burst. So you have two things that happened here. The fountains of the great deep burst. And second, the windows of the heavens were opened. In other words, it erupted from below the ocean in, in these huge caverns and earthquakes underneath the ocean, and these fountains came up, and then the windows of the heavens were opened. That is, the rain came down. Great quantities upon the earth. Now, in verse 12 it says, And the rain fell for 40 days and nights. So there's your first stage. 40 days and nights. The initial disruption in which everything was torn apart. Earthquakes, tsunamis, um, tectonic plates rubbing together under the ocean. 
Then the second stage, look at chapter 7, verse 19 and 20. And the waters prevailed mightily on the earth, so that, so that all the high mountains under the whole heaven was covered. Now, if you want to know why there are marine fossils on top of Mount Everest, verse 19 tells you, the waters prevailed mightily on the earth, and all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. There it is. You don't need millions and millions and billions of years to explain marine fossils on Mount Everest. And it says in verse 20, the waters prevailed over the mountains, covering them 15 cubits. That would be about 20 feet. So the waters prevail. That's that second stage in which the height of the waters continues to increase until it crests and peaks. That's the slower period of the flood. Look at verse 24. And the waters prevailed, chapter 7, verse 24, the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. So 40 days, initial disruption, 150 days, they prevail. They gradually increase till they peak. Now there's a third stage, and that is the recession of the waters. This is what they say, the geologists tell us. Um, and to see this, look at chapter 8, verse 13. Chapter 8, verse 13. In the six hundred and first year of the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from the earth. Now, notice that. The 601st year. When did it start? It started in chapter 7, verse 11, the 600th year. Well, it was done in the 601st year. So, in the 601st year, the waters had receded so that the flood was over. Now, Noah and his family stayed in the ark a little longer, verse 14, in the second month, chapter 8, verse 14. On the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out, and God said to Noah, go out from the ark. So here are the three clearly stated stages of a flood. And this is what the, the, those who study floods are called hydrologists. And this is what they say, the three stages. They're laid out right here in Genesis 7 and 8. So the flood has geological credibility. And let me um, add this verse to our point here. Uh, where did all this water go? What happened to the waters that flooded the globe? Psalm 104, Psalm 104, verse 6. Pull that verse up for us. Here's describing the flood. David said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, You covered it with the deep as with a garment. 
That is, you covered the earth with water like a garment. You threw a blanket of water over the whole thing. The water stood above the mountains, verse 6 says. And at your rebuke, then they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. God brought it in. God sent it out. Psalm 104, verse 8. Notice this. The mountains rose. The valleys sank. You know what God did? You know where he put the waters? He put it, he made these deep crevices in the earth. He split apart ocean floors. This, uh, these ocean floors, if you've looked at this, you'll find that uh, they have what is called a continental slope. That's when it, the ocean, when it uh, gradually goes down, there's, it come, you come to a cliff. And these things can go two and a half miles down. Now you go down two and a half miles. And then you can come to what is called a trench. (laughs) I mean, you thought you were deep before. There's a trench. This trench, for example, in the Atlantic Ocean has the deepest one. It is up to 60 miles wide. That's like from here to Detroit. It's that wide, and it's another two to three miles deep. Uh, to my knowledge, nobody's ever been there. Uh, in our, on our uh, little pic right there, little picture there, you'll see how you have the cliff, and then you have the trench that goes straight down. And God opened that up. Where did the water that covered the mountains go to? When God opened it up, the waters receded into these big gaping trenches. So you have Psalm 104, verse 8. The mountains rose and the valleys sank to the point, place you appointed for them, you set a boundary that they may not pass, so they, the waters, may not cover the earth again. These big trenches, the bottom of the ocean, God made it like a, like a, a deep hole in the earth so the waters would recede. And, and now here's uh, something that, this is my view on it, It's not only mine. I got it from others. But if we used to have some, we called them gully washers. Uh, Rains that would just like pouring buckets of water out. And they would build up and they would run down a gully and enlarge the gully, sweeping everything behind it. And then when waters recede, they leave layers of sediment and deposits of rock and gravel. Now, put that on a global scale. The water rushes in, taking everything with it, covering the mountain, and then it recedes back into the ocean caverns. And what do you have left on a global level? The Grand Canyon. 
And if you look at the Grand Canyon, which is not millions and millions of years old, it's thousands of years old from the flood of Noah. Have you ever seen a, a, a mountain that rises way up and then the top of the mountain is flat as it can be? It's just, it's just a big plateau on top of a mountain. How did that get there? It's called a mesa, a plateau up on top of this mountain. Well, if you look at Psalm 104, he says in verse 8, the mountains rose. So you have a flat level land at the bottom. Then if, then if the land rises up, you have a flat plain that is now a mountain. So when you look at these things, you think the Word of God carries a credibility with it that no one can contradict unless, as we'll see with Peter, they are willingly ignorant. So it has mathematical credibility. It has geological credibility. The flood does. Let me give you one more thing. It has apostolic credibility. That is, the apostles of the New Testament not only confirm the flood of Noah, but they draw the lessons from it. Uh, let me give you 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 4. Peter says, Since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. Now what he's doing, he's quoting the skeptics here. They're saying, look, everything's the same now as it's always been, always will be. This is called uniformitarianism for a fancy word. It's where nothing's ever changed, steads, uh, the steady state theory. And so Peter addresses this 2,000 years ago. People believe it today. But Peter said 2,000 years ago, that's what they're saying. They're saying all things continue as they were from the beginning. Nothing ever changes. There's not been no flood, no creation. So there's no second coming. There's no final judgment. And then Peter says, 2 Peter 3, verse 5, they deliberately overlook that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And by means of these, the world that existed was deluged with water and many perished. Now, 2 Peter 3, 7, by the same word, that is the word that called forth the flood, by that same word, 2 Peter 3, 7, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire to be kept to the end of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. In other words, Peter says, do you know how the world God destroyed in judgment, the world by water? One day he's going to do it by fire. He's going, and if, if you can believe the one, see, if you don't believe earthly things, how are you going to believe heavenly things? If God would do it once, Peter said, take the lesson from that. 
You know, you hear sometimes uh, we, the we, creation began with a big bang. No, but it will end with a big bang. It's going to be destroyed by fire. And I don't know how that's going to happen. But Peter says it's going to happen. In 2 Peter 3, 4 through 7. Then one other apostolic passage. This may be from Paul. I'm not sure who wrote Hebrews. But um, one of the apostles. Hebrews eleven seven, Says this. By faith Noah when warned about things not yet seen. See, he had never seen a flood like this. He probably hadn't even seen rain because the world was uh, watered by a mist. Remember that? He, he, by faith, Noah, when warned of things not seen, but in holy fear he built an ark to save his family. Two things motivated Noah. One, he believed God's warning. By faith, Noah warned about things not seen. Now, so here's a question. Fathers, mothers, if you want to save your family, do you believe that there are things not seen as yet? We've never experienced a global fire, a global judgment like this. Uh, But the Bible teaches there's a second coming and a final judgment. And just as with Noah's, Noah's day, there's a way of escape through the ark. And, and, and God and Noah appealed, it says he was a preacher of righteousness. He appealed to people. So here is what motivated Noah. By faith he believed these things, although he hadn't seen them. The other thing is fear. In holy fear he built an ark to save his family. And you know, we, we talk about the fear of God today and, and people avoid uh, preaching and teaching on the fear of God, but I think that the fear of God is a biblical theme that gets a lot of people saved. Is a fear of final judgment to stand before God without a Savior. <laughs> I was, um, when I was pastoring in Weatherford, Texas, I was there for 10 years, and we had a, a gentleman come, he was an evangelist, and I, I, I was trying to remember his name, but I can't. Um, but he brought with him some pamphlets, and on the pamphlet, the front picture was what got you. It had a picture of Noah's flood, the ark, and there were people swimming around. The water was up covering everything and there were still some people in the water. And they were banging on the sides of the ark to, be, to let, be let in. And that was the picture. And then at the top it said, uh, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. <laughs> and his point was, There's a time when that won't work. There's a day dawning, a day coming 
when the door is shut. And you know, I had, uh, I was passing this out in the Weatherford area, and I had a, a pastor call me up. Uh, he, I'm sure he's with the Lord now, but, or wherever he went. <laughs> but, <laughs> but he called me up and he said, uh, Larry, could we have lunch? Now, he was an older pastor, and I was a younger pastor. I said, sure, I was honored. And he took me out to eat. And he said, I really wish you wouldn't hand out these pamphlets. And I was kind of surprised. I said, why not? He said, because it causes people to fear. And I thought, oh, okay. But then in the Bible, Hebrews 11, 7, By faith Noah warned of things not yet seen. In fear, he built an ark. If you're afraid, I say that is a healthy thing for a believer or an unbeliever. Let us fear God and flee to the ark, which is Christ, and find in Him our refuge from the flood of judgment. Or in our future, at some point, will be the judgment of fire which it will engulf the earth as God did water at one time according to Peter so if you're not a Christian if you have not entered the ark of safety I hope you will do so today ushers will you come and let's worship God with our tithes and offerings and as I pray this morning ask God Lord save me from the judgment to come through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful history of Noah which leaves us with lessons of faith. And I pray that not a soul here today would fail to enter the ark of safety the ark of salvation which is in Christ, which is His name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship with our tithes and offerings.